Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life where for the first time in the 2019 season, I'm recording a podcast episode during a winning streak. The New York Jets have actually found themselves on a winning streak, thanks to the NFC East and the poor product it's putting on the field this season. The 2019 good time started with a win against Dallas, stopped for a little while, picked back up a week ago against the New York Giants in the battle for MetLife, and now against the Washington Redskins, the New York Jets find themselves at 3-7, and seven, defeating three of the four NFC East teams, and feeling much better about really everything. We were in a pretty bad place, what, two, three weeks ago, talking about firing our head coach midseason, talking about Sam Darnold regressing, not looking so hot. You know what? All it took was the soft part of the schedule. We just had to play some really bad teams to forget about all that for one week and think about, we actually have some dogs on our roster. We actually have some good players. And we aren't the worst team in the league. You look at a team like the Washington Redskins we just played this week, that's a bad team. I mean, they couldn't get anything going. And at times, I was like feeling sorry for them during the game. I was thinking to myself, like, geez, I know what it's like to play this badly. We were doing it when Luke Falk was playing. We had one of those games against the Patriots with Sam Darnold on the field even. And it's not a good feeling to just be utterly useless for an entire game. The Jets were up 34-3 to in the fourth quarter of this one. And in every single stage of the game except for one, two bad turnovers by the New York Jets. They outshined the Redskins across the board. Every category you want to look at, we had them. And the Jets, they won the game. So I'm feeling good. My voice is back. So that feels good. I'm just overall in a much better place as a New York Jets fan. I'm way too emotional about this stuff, and I'm in ebbs and flows as the New York Jets are, and I have bad weeks. And recently, for two weeks in a row, I've had good weeks. And I hope they continue. I think they can. I'm going to talk about all that stuff later. But there's a lot of stuff I want to get into today. I want to start by recapping the game just kind of briefly, going over some coaching, both Adam Gase and Greg Williams, who were much improved this week, especially Adam Gase. Greg Williams, he's been good all year, but he continues it. We're going to take a pit stop at the cooler, do a little what's on tap. I'm going to go over some team stats, player performances, may even pick three stars of the game. Got a nice submission from my father for father time. We're going to talk about the Raiders, going to make a prediction, and who knows? Maybe we'll talk about a possible playoff run coming? Crazier things have happened on this podcast. I look forward to getting into all of it. But before I begin, as always, if you enjoy this podcast, I encourage you to rate, review, subscribe anywhere you listen to it. Stitcher, Overcast, Google Chrome, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere. You should be able to find it. GangreenNation.com is the title. There are two podcasts on there, mine and Brandon Contes, and we're part of the SB Nation family, GangreenNation.com. The podcast can be found there as well. So any positive review or really anything you want to say, engage, it's all good. You can follow me at Jets underscore Dan on Twitter as well if you want to talk during the week. I usually have some random thoughts and like to air out really anything that's going through my mind on Twitter. So at Jets underscore Dan. All right, so now that we got all that out of the way, we can talk about one of the hottest teams in the National Football League, your New York Jets, who defeat the Washington Redskins 34-17 to in this one. And it started hot with another opening drive by the Jets down the field. I mean, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. It's like every single week since uh, Sam Darnold came back, it feels like Adam Gase has a nice scripted opening drive and sometimes second drive. Now, the standard for coaches in the NFL is to go into a game with some pre-scripted plays. You have about 10 to 15 plays that you know you're going to run, basically in order or situationally. You know, first down, first play of the game is going to be this. You're not picking that on the fly. You know where you're going to be. You know you're going to be at about the 25-yard line. You haven't seen anything from the defense yet. The only thing you're going off of is all of the work that you've done throughout the week, scouting your team, scouting the opponent. And then, you know, as the game goes on, you get away from scripted plays, you go more game flow, you see how they're playing specific plays, what their weaknesses are, who's having a good day, bad day, and you start utilizing your strengths and going to their weaknesses. When the game starts, you got your scripted plays, and that's where Adam Gase has shined in the last three, four weeks. We come out strong, usually utilizing Jameson Crowder, and Sam Darnold looks hot. He's super high completion percentage on opening drives, and the Jets go down and they score touchdowns. It's happened time and time again. This is something that we actually weren't very good at before this season. 
So we've been doing that. The problem is after that, the New York Jets offense typically stalls and second, third quarter can't be found. Punting the ball away, turnovers, can't get good running lanes. And that's where the other team usually gets a chance to either, you know, start coming back like the Giants did or beating us like the Jaguars and Dolphins did. But this week was a little bit different. Not only did Adam Gase have a great opening drive, he had a good drive after that as well, but he kept the foot on the gas and the Jets were able to score 34 points by scoring pretty consistently throughout the game and finding success from start to finish. I mean, they really won this game wire to wire and it was a very, it was a very convincing win. You know, the final score was 34-17, but like I said before, they had a 34-3 lead in the third quarter or fourth quarter and the Redskins, I mean, they did not look like they could do anything. I mean, you're watching this game, you're like, I don't know if, I don't know if a receiver can catch a ball on this team. I don't know if Dwayne Haskins can stand in the pocket and deliver on third down. You just you didn't have any feeling in your head watching the Redskins that they could get anything done. And that's not because the Jets are necessarily an amazing team. I mean, we played a really good game, but the Redskins are pretty inept right now. They're lacking a true starting quarterback with any experience. Greg Williams always destroys those. They don't have a head coach right now. They fired their coach mid-year, something we've avoided doing. And this is what it looks like. You know, if you thought the Jets were the worst team in the league, if you thought we were getting the first pick overall, second pick, third pick... Unfortunately, it's not going to happen if you were hoping for that. New York Jets are going to keep winning games against teams like the Redskins because we're a better team than them. We aren't absolutely awful, not with the guys we have on the field, not with Sam Darnold playing, and not with a somewhat improving offensive line. So expect, you know, a little more from the New York Jets moving forward, especially against some of these teams we play. Coming up, we got the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Bengals, and then, you know, we close out the year with the Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the uh, Buffalo Bills. So the last three games are harder, but these next three games, there's more opportunity for the Jets to play good football. I'm looking forward to watching all that. So I was talking about Gase and how he's gotten better, you know, especially in this game, maybe his best performance as a head coach yet. And the main thing in that was the consistency. So we had that great opening drive. The Jets scored a touchdown on seven plays. Their second drive, they don't get a touchdown. They score one on their third. They did give the Redskins a chance to get back into this game with an interception in their own territory, followed by a fumble on a kickoff by Vincent Smith. The Redskins easily could have gotten some points together there, maybe 14 points, you know, if they had anything going on offense in this game. They come out of this thing with three. Jets are up 13-3. to three. From there, the Jets have an eight-play drive punted away. They have a three-play drive for a touchdown, ten-play drive for a touchdown, Nine plays with a missed field goal. I mean, time and time again, the Jets are not only picking up first downs, but they're getting down the field and they're picking up, you know, chunks of yardage, either getting into scoring range, scoring, or putting the Redskins in a difficult position. The Jets didn't have a single three and out in this game until late in the game when they were already up 34 to 11, deep into the fourth quarter. I mean, this is like garbage time football. The Jets are trying to stay healthy. We're playing some different guys, getting deeper into the bench, and... I don't really fault them for that. And this is just one of those games that for the first time, it felt like Adam Gase knew what he was doing all along. He had ways to pick up first downs. He was more creative than usual. You saw Bilal Powell threw a ball in this game. We tried some trickery that he's known for. We had Le'Veon Bell finally lined up and the slot was able to get open on a 21-yard pass. And across the board, it just felt better. I mean, we had touchdowns from four different players receiving and Le'Veon Bell rushing. Now, a lot of people think this is due in part to Sam Darnold meeting with Adam Gase and basically saying, hey, I'm not entirely happy with the way the offense has been running. I want to change some things. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. You know, that conversation happened with Adam Gase where the two of them sat down and just kind of had like a, a brain meeting. Like, you know, where are you at this year? Where am I at? And since then, the New York Jets have played better and they're playing to Sam's strengths. You know, Sam Darnold is at his best First and foremost, when he has protection from the offensive line, that is first. He has to be standing upright, and he has to have time to see down the field. But he's not a quick rhythm timing passer. He doesn't do two-step drops and chuck it, like some of the West Coast-style offenses, like Tom Brady. We've seen him do it for years. Sam Darnold is best when he's improvising and when his receivers are kind of going on the fly. That's when he finds connections deep, and he always looks for the deeper route. He's not a check-down quarterback. He looks down the field. He sees it very well. And he rolled out in this game more, able to extend snaps, able to extend you know his time before getting hit from a pass rush. The F, actually, the offensive line blocked decently well in this game. He was only sacked twice. He wasn't hit too many times. And you know we made some changes on the O-line we'll talk about later that maybe helped. But Sam Darnold had time. He was moving in the pocket. He does sometimes throw with bad mechanics. He sometimes throws off of his back foot. And when it goes wrong, we saw the interception in this game. He threw off his back foot, and I was like, that is just no good. But when... He's feeling confident, and his throws are there. 
he can make those throws. He can throw off of his back foot. He doesn't have to have his feet set. He can see a guy across the field in the corner of the end zone, and he can flick it to him and get him there. I mean, Demarius Thomas nicknamed him Flick because the guy's got a really nice touch flick on the ball. It doesn't require his entire body to do it. So Sam Darnold was at his best in this game. Adam Gase was clearly playing to his strengths. And we were able to throw, in this game, Sam Darnold's first ever four-touchdown game and probably the best performance he's ever had as a quarterback. Now, again, I'm going to mention the Redskins are not a good team. They're one of the worst teams I've seen play all year. This is one of the worst games I've seen a single team play, and I watched a lot of Jets this year. I mean, the Redskins were ugly. Dwayne Haskins is not ready to start yet. Their fill-in head coach is not ready to coach yet. The players there, half of them mailing it in. Josh Norman's getting burned time and time again. And it just, you know, there was no recipe for success for them. Because on the other side of the ball, we got another darn good coach, and that's Greg Williams. And Triple G is an absolute monster against young quarterbacks. We know it because he played against us with the Cleveland Browns last year when he confused Sam Darnold, and we weren't able to beat the Cleveland Browns. That was Baker Mayfield's first game. We started off okay and then fell apart. Tyrod Taylor came out, Baker came in, Jets couldn't score, Greg Williams confused Sam Darnold, and the rest was history. Jets lose that game. But on that podcast going into that Browns game, it was a big point of emphasis to say Greg Williams is a coach that confuses young quarterbacks. How? He disguises looks. He brings a lot of pressure. I mean, Greg Williams is a typical third and distance pass rush specialist. Exotic blitzes, overloads. He likes to go after you if you have third and five or longer. That's what he does. But when he goes against a young quarterback, he'll pin his ears back and he'll do it earlier. And he'll do some run gap blitzes where just in case you run it, he's going to cover those gaps and then have dogs go into the line. He's going to make the quarterback think quick, make fast decisions. And a lot of times, young quarterbacks are not capable of doing that. He'll also change the protections, make it look like he's going to run a zone, switch to man, or vice versa. A lot of times, starts man. He'll keep a guy in motion as you try to figure out pre-snap. Are they in man or not? Brings a guy. Greg Williams matches it. All right, looks like man. Ball is snapped after about one and a half seconds. Switches. The guys drop into zones. And for a young rookie quarterback who's not seeing the field as clearly as an experienced veteran, I mean, these guys are kind of relying on their first looks. All right, I saw man, which means this guy will be open after three seconds, and they have their reason and whatnot. They don't really have the ability to think on the fly as quickly because it doesn't come naturally to them. It's not second nature. They haven't seen it a million times, and Greg Williams is a master of that, a master of the disguise on defense. We did not have great players playing in this game. We already knew we were banged up at cornerback, but we're starting guys like LaShawn Austin, Arthur Mollett, and if I told you we were starting them at the beginning of this year, you'd be like, oh my gosh, something went wrong. We got backup linebackers in. We traded away Leonard Williams, who was supposed to be one of our best players. And Greg Williams is finding a way to get it done. And Dwayne Haskins came into this game without ever having thrown a passing touchdown. He was no touchdowns, four interceptions. It's not like he's a great barometer for a strong defense. Really, everybody's played well against him when he's on the field. He did end up getting touchdowns late in the game, garbage time. Not going to read into that. But just the way that we were able to play, beginning to end, not a bunch of mistakes, not a bunch of penalties, Greg Williams working with the players that he's got out there. I mean, he made LaShawn Austin look good. He made Arthur Mollett look good, who I've been accused of saying Arthur Mollett's the worst player on the 53-man roster. And when the year started, that was true, in my opinion. I still believe he was the worst player on the 53-man roster. At this point now, we're like 17 guys down. We've moved guys revolving door. Players are off the roster already. And, you know, he's moved up. Maybe now he's like the 39th best player. Yikes. But he's playing all right. And Greg Williams is using him to his strengths. And then you got Jamal Adams, just an absolute, absolute beast right now. That guy's playing like an all-pro. So great game from Triple G. Adam Gase, good game from him as well. Great game from Sam Darnold. Things started to mesh. Consistency was there. And this game was fun. Beginning to end, we were putting up points. It's always fun to score 34 points on offense. And then shut down an opposing offense in that fashion. Three points going into the fourth quarter. Heck of a game. Heck of a game. So very excited. The New York Jets are 3-7. and It's not a good record. We don't feel good about being 3-7. and We feel good about being on a two-game winning streak. But 3-7, and not good enough. It does make you wonder, what if they'd won that game against Buffalo? They lost 16-7 first game of the year. What if C.J. Mosley didn't get injured that game? Could we have pulled out a win? If he just held that injury on another quarter. You know, what if Sam Darnold didn't have mono? Could we have beaten the Eagles, or the Browns. This really had the ability to be a much better season than it is. I mean, we still may end up being, I don't know, 7-9 and nine this year? If things go well, we could be 7-9. and nine. And that's with our starting quarterback going through the mono, going through the, the riots, trying to throw ownership out the window. I mean, 7-9, and nine, 
Not that bad of a season considering. We've been 4-12. and Feels like a lot recently. And the Jets already have three wins this year. we got to keep it going. The Raiders are going to be a good test next week. It will be a much better gauge for where we're actually at. And 4-7, and seven, and that's definitely not a good record either, but it does feel a game better than 3-7. and seven. So can we get there? Let's find out. But first, got to recap this Redskins game in a little bit more depth. we got to talk about team stats, player performances. we got to pick our stars of the game. But before we get to that, we're going to take a pit stop at the cooler to see what old Danny's drinking for this one in a little section we like to call What's On Tap. That is right, folks. It's What's On Tap, the segment of the episode where I talk about the beer or alcoholic beverage that I'm currently drinking while recording the episode. And today is a beer, a 12-ounce can, Harpoon's American IPA. Just a standard American IPA. Solid came in a variety pack purchased by roommate Kyle for a game uh, one or two weeks ago. It is an IPA that actually tells you the hops that are made in brewing it. Galaxy, Citra, and Centennial. Pretty solid choices. Those are all three pretty popular hops these days. Um, Citra is one of my old old standby classics, so I kind of like it there. But they throw in the Galaxy and the Centennial, which gives it uh, a little bit more of a well-rounded flavor rather than like the juicier, hazy Citra IPAs that I drink all summer long. This one is, I mean, it tastes really standard. It's smooth. And for 7.2%, like I said, like it's good because it's going to pack a punch and, and it's very drinkable. But typically for Harpoon beers, I try to stay away because from what I've found, um, they have like more calories than almost any other beer you can find. If you just get like a Harpoon IPA, it's just like double that of another beer that you could. It's like drinking a Blue Moon. It's like you drink three or four of them and it's the equivalent of eating everything on the McDonald's menu. So you kind of want to stay away from those, especially if you're going to be drinking a bunch. Not so bad when you're just having a few here and there. And when we drink them on game days, I like to like mix them up with, uh, you know, maybe like we've been doing the Bud 76s this year, or the 55s, whatever it is. It's like basically no alcohol. Do Michelob Ultras, a couple Mickeys. Those things will lighten it up. And then you go right back to a, a Harpoon. You take your calories in there. And it's basically a meal. So you don't have to worry about eating too much during game day. You can just have snacks and chips and, and things like that. But this one, pretty tasty for the podcast. I'm enjoying it. Harpoon's American IPA. I've not seen it sold individually. Uh, this one came in a variety pack, as I mentioned. So I'm not positive if you can just get it. But variety packs are fun. Just because you get a bunch of different stuff. You usually get four different beers. But also because like you're forced to try stuff that maybe you wouldn't normally drink. And if you don't get things that are different, you end up drinking the same stuff over and over, which is fine. But how many sea hags can my dad possibly have before he gets tired of them? You got to try different things. Expand that palate. And variety packs, that's what I do at Harpoon American IPA. Thank you for this beer for this episode. Maybe it tastes so good because the New York Jets won. We are going to get into the team stats and player performances coming up. But first, quick commercial. All right, so let's get into the team stats of this game. And I mentioned earlier that the New York Jets dominated the Redskins, especially on paper. When you look at the team stats, it's like, wow, Jets played one of their most consistent games of the entire season. And when you watch the game, it matches right up. So we'll start, you know, what are the big things that we talk about every single week? It's third down efficiency. It's penalties, turnovers, time of possession. In this game, the Jets won three of four of those. Third down efficiency, New York Jets have been around that 30% mark really bad week after week. That's one of the biggest things we got to work on. This week, five for 12, 41%. Not great. Step in the right direction. Definitely better than usual. And better than the Redskins, who are 6 for 16, 37%. When you go to penalties, the New York Jets actually only had 6 penalties. And this year we've been hovering around 8, 9, 10, sometimes 11 penalties in a game. I mean, the Redskins, they had 11 penalties for 66 yards. The Jets, it was 55 yards of penalty yardage, but we only had 6. So one of our lowest of the entire season. Good to see, you know, more discipline from these guys. And we didn't have Brian Winters a standard flag culprit. We didn't have some other players on the field. Trumaine Johnson, who gets a bunch of flags. But we were able to make it through this one. And possibly the refs are just watching and they're like, the Redskins can't get anything done. So you kind of have like benefit of the doubt when you're covering a guy. It's like, listen, they haven't made a nice completion. Basically all game stood in the pocket and delivered to a guy in stride on a nice route, covered. So if the guy's not catching the ball, the cornerback maybe played it right. You probably get benefit of the doubt somewhat because they were just so darn pitiful. But... Um, this, the category of the Jets lost, the only one that you can really find is turnovers. And they had two turnovers. 
the one bad interception from Sam Darnold where he threw off his back foot and just it was a screenplay that he should have dirted. He threw it to the defensive player, Bostic. That was the one bad one. And then Vincent Smith on a kick return who's been, you know, he's not a, a good player. He's not very impactful in games, but when he does touch the ball, he's been pretty good. You know, once or twice a game, he's done something somewhat impactful. In this one, this was his first really bad play. He had a fumble on the kickoff. Redskins got the ball right back. Luckily, he missed the field goal, so, you know, you'd say no harm, no foul. But when you fumble a kickoff return like that, those are things that absolutely will lose you games. And at some point, the Jets are going to be playing meaningful games, looking to make the playoffs, needing to win. You can't have mistakes like that. So does he get replaced next week? It's very possible. It's very possible that Vincent Smith's time is short-lived, especially if he fumbles again. In the last one, time of possession, the New York Jets win this one 32 minutes to 27 minutes. But across the board, the other stats that we don't always talk about, the Jets just killed them too. First downs, we had 23 to their 13. Total yards, the Jets had 400 total yards. Redskins only 225. And remember that a lot of yardage and all the points they got, aside from one field goal, came in garbage time when the Jets were already going home with a victory. Yards per play, Jets 6.1. Redskins, amazingly 3.7. The Jets were only sacked twice in this game. Sam Darnold was sacked two times for a total lost yardage of eight yards. Dwayne Haskins sacked six times, 43 yards lost. Running the ball. The Jets ran the ball for 115 yards, using more of a committee this week than usual, but 115 yards, you like to see it. Defensively, holding the Redskins to 54 yards. And this was one thing they were going to have to rely on. If they were going to get Dwayne Haskins in any sort of rhythm, they were going to have to pick up first downs and use Adrian Peterson and Darius Geist to to move the sticks, but we know the New York Jets are one of the best teams against the run in the entire NFL this year, coming in second place going into this week. You know, I haven't checked. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in first place. Now, you have a 54 performance like that, 2.7 yards per rush. I mean, we absolutely, we killed the run game. Trenches, defensively, one. I mean, testament to everybody up there. We got a good defensive line. It seems like we can throw any linebacker back there, and they're going to clean it up. Because our guys, I mean, they're doing a good job on that defensive line. Maybe they don't get a ton of ton of pressure at the quarterback. But you got to keep in mind, we did get six sacks in this game. So Jets were great there. Red zone attempts, Jets, three for three to the Redskins, one for three. And it's just, you go through it, and yeah, the turnovers weren't there. They only had the one interception that Neville Hewitt had on Dwayne Haskins. We had two. But other than that, I mean... First downs, total yards, yards per play, rushing, passing, penalties, red zone efficiency, you know, time of possession. It just all was in the New York Jets' favor. It was a true team domination. The Jets truly dominated the Redskins. The first time all season the Jets have looked this good and made an opponent look this bad. This is what we were hoping we were going to do to Miami. We weren't able to do it. Ryan Fitzpatrick had a day with us. But we do it against the Redskins. And better late than never. Because we aren't looking for draft positioning, we're looking for wins. And we're looking for Sam Darn to look good. With four touchdowns, he looked darn good. Let's get into those player performances. Starting with one Sammy Diesel, 63% passing percentage on 19 for 30. The guy had 293 yards. He had one interception that we wish we could take back. I'm sure he does. But only sacked twice. He was comfortable in the pocket, able to throw four touchdowns to the tune of a 121 passer rating. Pretty awesome. We talked about that old offensive line blocking for him. We made a couple changes in this game. So Ryan Khalil's on IR. We're playing Jonathan Harrison. He has played this year, but he's now going to be the center for the remainder of the year. Brian Winters is also injured. We take him out, and we put in the guy, Tom Compton, who was a pretty useful, you know, he's played a role on an offensive line many times in his career. He's played guard, center, tackle. When we picked him up, I was thinking to myself, this is a nice, versatile, veteran offensive lineman that should be able to come in and provide useful minutes. And when we were playing horrible all year, I've mentioned on this podcast, you know, we were having terrible offensive line blocking, just awful run schemes, couldn't protect the quarterback. I'm thinking to myself, we have Tom Compton on the bench. Is he really not better than anybody that's out there? He's not better than what Adoga's doing or what Brian Winters is doing or Kalechi Osemele. He can play all those positions. So why hasn't he gotten an opportunity? It's still unclear, but with Brian Winters out, Tom Compton had a role to fill in at right guard, and he looked good. I mean, there were plays that were standing out. as like, wow, that was a really nice play by the right guard. Who is it? Tom Compton? 77 making his name known. It was nice to see good play finally from the offensive line. It wasn't perfect. There were some messy plays. 
the running lane still not really there. We're we're a really bad run blocking team. We don't make holes for the running back. Le'Veon Bell, I know he's patient in the backfield. Maybe he could hit the hole a little harder. But for crying out loud, if you're looking on TV, you're not finding any holes. There's there's nowhere for the guy to run. And that's because of the offensive line. But overall, the unit was better this week. I think this was the best the offensive line has looked all season, and it was with Kelvin Beecham at left uh, left tackle, Alex Lewis left guard, Jonathan Harrison at center, Tom Compton at right guard, and then rookie Chuma Adoga at right tackle. And honestly, Chuma Adoga is the weak link of this unit, at least against the Redskins. This guy has been, he's having his issues. His hands are full. He's not getting his hands on the defensive players frequently. They're getting past him. He doesn't have the strength to keep up with them. He's getting a lot of penalties, and he is looking consistently like our worst offensive lineman. The one positive Chuma Adoga, it's not really a positive, but he inherently has more potential because he's a young, drafted offensive lineman who's under contract for three more years, being paid very little. He's a guy that you hope turns it around. Guys like Tom Compton, Alex Lewis, they may be in and out. You know, you're hopefully, you know, Kelvin Beecham's moving on after this year. You're hopefully moving on from Jonathan Harrison if you can find a real center to play. And uh, Chuma Doga is one of those guys that potentially will be on this roster for three more years unless we actually cut him and say, you can't play at all. Which, considering he's actually starting right now on an offensive line with our franchise quarterback, I'd find that hard to believe that he would actually get cut for an inability to play. If he truly can't play, we would pick somebody up off the street who can at least do a bad job. Not horrible. And he's not getting paid enough where it's really that valuable to get rid of him, unless you got a good replacement for him. So Chumo Dogo will continue to see what he does for the remainder of the year, but Tom Compton, I'd like to keep him on the offensive line and try to stick with this unit for as long as we can. we got to watch out for the right side. Sam rolls out strong to his right with his you know throwing arm being the right hand. Chumo Dogo's got to hold down his block for a little bit longer. Kelvin Beecham, he's been spied this year. He's got to make sure that nobody comes from the blind side. At least give Sam Darnold two seconds to two and a half seconds of, of good blocking before the guy gets through. And, you know, it'll be better than we've seen. And Sam Darnold, the better the offensive line looks, the better he looks. It's just how it's been. So, improved game from the offensive line. 115 rushing yards, better than we usually do. And getting sacked only twice, better than we usually do. Six total penalties for the game, better than usual. Can't complain too much about what they did there. Running the ball, it wasn't it wasn't great for Le'Veon Bell. I'm still waiting for him to have that. Le'Veon Bell, you know, we got this guy, $13 million, superstar, welcome back to the league, 100-yard performance, two touchdowns, something awesome like that. Unfortunately, the offensive line just hasn't allowed him to get there, and it looks like he's a little bit banged up right now. He was going through some injuries. He got an MRI this week that came back negative, but he's clearly not feeling 100%, and as the year goes on for a running back, usually that's not the, you know, you're usually not feeling great at this point in the season. You've been tackled, what, 300 times already, 200 times? I mean... He's got to uh, he's got to be feeling a little bit of wear and tear, of course. But in this game, 18 carries for 59 yards, 3.3 yard per carry average, which we're not pleased with. The 3.3 needs to go up. He did get a touchdown in this game when the Jets had short p- field position after a Neville Hewitt interception. But Le'Veon Bell, in reality, he had a decent receiving game. He had that one nice 21 yard catch, another catch for 12 yards, and with 33 receiving yards, he put that on top of his 59 yards rushing. He actually totaled 92 yards for this game and totaled 4.6 yards per touch. So it wasn't like a statistically useless game. He actually did have some uh, some production from a statistical measure. But in this game, you know, the Jets went to a committee. Le'Veon Bell played the least amount of snaps he's played all year. He was under 60% of snaps played on offense because we frankly, we didn't need to. Could he have gotten 100 yards in this game? Yeah, probably. We could have beaten him up and gotten him there. It wouldn't have been with a four-yard average. It would have been with 2.9, 3.2, something around in that range. But we didn't have to do anything like that in this game because it was such a clear and decisive win for the team. So Bilal Powell, he had seven carries, ended up with 42 yards. A couple really nice runs on one drive. We ended up scoring a touchdown. He had a 17-yard long, and he almost scored a touchdown. Tripped himself up trying to juke out a defender, getting towards the goal line. But, you know, the best game we've seen from Bilal Powell so far this year, 6.0 yards per carry. Ty Montgomery, he ran the ball twice, 11 yards there. Josh Adams, the guy that was moved up from the practice squad recently, he got his first carries of the season. He had one nice one that was called back on a penalty. Other than that, four carries for six yards, 1.5-yard average. You're not too pleased with that. You say, that's not a great game. But when you're going with your fourth-string running back in a in a fourth quarter where you're winning a game 34-3 to and a guy runs for a 1.5-yard average, you don't blame him. It's just circumstance. They're going to stop throwing. What do you think the Jets are going to do in this point? So for the first week, 
41% of the carries were taken by somebody other than Le'Veon Bell, mixed between Ty Bilal and Josh Adams. And frankly, I was happy with it. I think it's time that Adam Gase, especially in a situation where you have the luxury of like, it's not do or die on every play, we're, we're actually winning this game very comfortably, going with a committee, keeping some tread on the tires of Le'Veon Bell, keeping him healthy or as healthy as you can, and then getting some work for the other players. That's why we have these guys. We talked in the beginning of the season about what a good backfield we had. We got, you know, Trenton Cannon was in the mix too. We had to cut Eli McGuire. Josh Adams was in there on the practice squad. We had Ty Montgomery, who was supposed to be really good. Bilal Powell coming back from injury. We know what he's done for the New York Jets. Then Le'Veon Bell, the huge free agent signing. It was like, we got a freaking stable of backs here. And it looked like we had an improved offensive line. The unit was going to be good. Then the season starts. The offensive line is horrible, and Le'Veon Bell touches the ball for basically every single play when Sam Darnold's not on the field. And even when Sam is, he's running the ball almost every time. And finally, it felt like it was a little bit more spread out, a little bit more balanced, and felt more natural. doesn't feel right watching Le'Veon Bell get three yards of carry time and time and time again and just burning this guy up because we got, we got a pretty long contract on him. And some people think we're going to trade him. I don't think so. I think he's going to be on this team for two more years at least. He's going to ride through three years of that contract with the New York Jets. And we got to make sure that we don't hurt ourselves by getting him injured now. He needs to be one of the focal focal points of the offense moving forward. The only way he's going to do that is if he's healthy. So getting the other guys some looks was good. 115 yards, 3.5 total yards per run in this game. The one touchdown came from Le'Veon Bell. When it came to the receiving game, one name stood out. One super player, Ryan Griffin. Ryan Griffin got the most offensive snaps of any skill player in the New York Jets. He got more than Robbie Anderson, more than Le'Veon Bell, Jamison Crowder. Ryan Griffin got the most. It shows what this team thinks of him, the value that he has. Keep in mind, he was brought here to be the backup for Chris Herndon and really to just kind of spell him for that four-week suspension. Ended up being that Chris Herndon was, you know, injured after suspension and now has a a rib injury and he's going to be out for the year. Ryan Griffin has really stepped up, leads the team in touchdowns, four touchdowns on the year. He had 109 yards receiving in this game with a 45-yard lug, five catches on five targets. And this was the best tight end performance we've seen since Dustin Keller in like 2010 or 11. I mean, Ryan Griffin for backup tight end is playing well. He's going to be a free agent coming up. We're going to have to pay this guy. I don't think he's going to be worth a ton because he is, you know, in theory, like a backup tight end, maybe three, four million dollars. But get this guy back on the roster. Good game from him. Jamison Crowder, who's had pretty good chemistry with Sam Darnold since he got here. He had five catches for 76 yards, had another touchdown in this game. He was targeted eight times, which was the most by any receiver on the New York Jets. And uh, clearly Sam Darnold trusts Jamison Crowder. Clearly the offense runs through Jamison Crowder a lot. He's one of those guys playing the slot that you can use as a security blanket. You know, you can tell that Sam Darnold likes to use those guys, Ryan Griffin, Jamison Crowder. And those are guys that don't give up on plays. If the play extends, Jamison Crowder continues to improvise. If he runs his route and it's completed, he'll start running in the direction that Sam is going or try to find a way to get open. And we found him on a few plays like that so far this year. And, you know, in reality, when you watch this game, a lot of this yardage came from busted coverages. You know, there was a lot of times the guys were left wide open. You know, cue in Daniel Brown, one catch for 20 yards. Guy hasn't been visible on the field all season long. Broken coverage, gets the ball in the back of the end zone on a really nice throw by Sam Darnold. But, you know, it wasn't a great coverage game from the Redskins. So you can't give a ton of credit to everybody because they weren't catching the balls contested. Um, But, hey, you play who's on your schedule, and if they can't cover, it's on Sam Darnold to make sure that he finds the guys that are open. Demarius Thomas, he had four catches, 44 yards, five targets there. The big disappointment in this game receiving was Robbie Anderson, who's in a contract year. He's got to have a good season. I mean, he knows that he wants to get paid, and he will get paid because he's got a skill set that's hard to find in the NFL right now. If you got a quarterback who has time in the pocket and has an arm and can get downfield, Robbie Anderson's one of the better deep ball receiving receivers in the league. He's got strong hands when he goes up, and he's fast, straight line. 
He's gotten a little bit better in his, you know, over the years, it seems like he's gotten better in his route running. Although recently with Sam Darnold, they have almost no chemistry. I don't know what it is. They were definitely clicking a little bit more last year, especially the end of last year than they are right now. But you got to think that Robbie wants to get way more involved. He did have one catch that was called back that uh, could have been a pretty big gainer. And other than that, one catch for six yards. But it did yield a touchdown. So the sun god got his moment, jumped into the stands, and it was exciting. It was good to see Robbie. I think he's a fan favorite for a lot of people. Definitely one of my favorite players in the New York Jets. I just want to see him getting a little bit more production throughout the game. Getting, you know, four catches, five catches, 60, 70, 80 yards. Maybe getting thrown deep balls a little bit more often. Part of that comes from the protection. Part of it comes from Robbie. But going into this year, we convinced ourselves that Robbie Anderson was the best player on this Jets roster and that he was our number one wide receiver, that he was in line for 1,000 yards. I convinced myself of that, that he was going to get 1,000 yards this year. And he's going to be pretty far from that when this year's all said and done. He's struggling to get, you know, three, four catches in a game right now. Jameson Crowder, he's getting the lion's share. Ryan Griffin, he's found a way as a backup. Demarius Thomas is traded for mid-year. He's got chemistry with him. And then you got lonely Robbie Anderson struggling to get open and he's gonna have to do it I think we got time left six games we've got some games that maybe he could flourish in but he's got to start picking it up you know we're more than halfway through the season now and if he wants to get a big contract with the New York Jets he's got to prove that he's got some chemistry with Sam Darnold and it's got to start right now defensively we're gonna do what we did last week we're gonna start with the DBs instead of the defensive line so the DBs Jamal Adams best game uh, that he's had since the Giants game I mean, he now has strung amazing performances back-to-back. He could potentially be AFC Defensive Player of the Week for the second week in a row. And he looks like he's on his way to being All-Pro. Potentially first-team All-Pro. He was second-team All-Pro last year. He may be the best player his entire position in the AFC. And there were times when we talked about trading him, exactly what he was worth. He He hadn't had the season that he's having right now at that point. These last two games against the Giants and the Redskins, whew, out of this world performances. And I want to see if he can keep it going because he's on a whole new level. Three sacks in this game, four quarterback hits, playing in coverage, playing deep, getting, you know, when he's hitting Darius Geis, putting that extra shoulder into him, getting people fired up, playing every snap. I mean, Jamal Adams right now is a force to be reckoned with, and he's a lot of fun to watch. The guy is, like, breaking records for DBs, sacking quarterbacks usually DBs don't get that many sacks three he's he's it's just it's a heck of a year and it's something to be appreciated right now we don't know how long he's going to be on this team we don't know if he's working his way out with management but you know he is uh he is as advertised and more Marcus May he's just getting wimpy at tackling he's playing coverage well if you think about it the amount of times that we've been burned deep is so much less than when he was injured when we had Daryl Roberts back there or other backups, or before Marcus May was even drafted, we couldn't defend the long ball. We would get burned deep time and time again in the game. Since Marcus May's been healthy on the field, it doesn't happen. We don't get burned for 60, 70 yards. And when we do, like Terry McLaurin did for a long 40-yarder in this game, Marcus May was right there, and Terry McLaurin barely caught it. So in coverage and stopping the deep pass, Marcus May doing very, very well, and he's healthy on the field all the time. His issue right now is arm tackling, and he just looks a little bit small and frail when it comes to tackling, which isn't what he was when we drafted him. I mean, there was the touchdown to Darius Geis where at the five-yard line, Marcus May had a play to put a, put a hit on him. He was able to get his entire arm on him, but just kind of like just whiffed it at him. And maybe he did, you know, the game was already in hand and he didn't want to risk an injury. So you get that. Deion Sanders said every tackle is a business decision. DBs, you know, what, what's your value really? Is it tackling a guy right there? Or is it making sure that you're healthy for the next play? But you want to see your safety getting in there and trying to make the play. A little bit more effort tackling. And we've seen him miss a few tackles a few weeks in a row now. And uh, it's just one thing that I'd like to see better. But you know what? When it comes to a free safety, the number one thing is stopping the deep pass. And he is doing that. Cornerbacks. This one's interesting because we aren't playing Daryl Roberts. We aren't playing Trumaine Johnson. The guys that we're starting at cornerback are Arthur Mollette who played over 90% of snaps. And Blashawn Austin, who was our last pick in this draft and was physically unable to play when the season began. We didn't know if he'd ever be able to get on the field. He looked like he was going to be one of those Mike McKagan picks. He was going to be like, this guy came in injured. He left injured. 
never made an impact, but LaShawn Austin was given a pretty tall task of starting for the New York Jets in just his second game on the active roster, and he did a darn good job. Same with Arthur Marlette. If you look at the PFF numbers, I mean, I don't I don't trust PFF too much, um, but they were really good, really efficient games from them. We did see LaShawn Austin in coverage pretty tight a few times. We saw him get a little burn, a little loose in some coverages that were just badly thrown by Dwayne Haskins. He did have one nice pass breakup on a play that he had made a little bit too slow of a recovery, but uh, he did run back and, and got there just in time to make a pass breakup. Dwayne Haskins was all over the place throwing the ball in this game, and the receivers were definitely not giving him any help by dropping passes over and over again. So that was a big part of it. But Blashawn Austin and Arthur Marlette, two weeks in a row, have not really been exposed. And you thought they would be. When you put them on the field against Daniel Jones and against Dwayne Haskins, you just thought, well, these are two rookies that are going to go in and just have a field day and pick apart those two corners. And Daniel Jones had a pretty good passing game, but it wasn't against those two guys. You know, Nate Harrison got got the brunt of it, really. I don't know what's uh, what's going to come for the rest of the year. I mean, you didn't want to see Arthur Mollett ever playing corner for the Jets. Seems like right now he's the number one corner on the team until Daryl Roberts or, or somebody else gets healthy or proves himself. But we're going to have a much bigger bigger gauge. Just like we said, the Jets are going to get a good gauge against the Oakland Raiders because they're a better team. So will these cornerbacks because Derek Carr is having a good year. He's been efficient. He's been finding his receivers and tight ends. And uh, we'll see exactly what Arthur Mollette and Blashawn Austin are. In middle linebacker, James Burgess had a statistically flashy game. It wasn't uh, an amazing game for him. Honestly, the defensive line plays so well that it caters to the defense, uh, to the linebackers. But Burgess in this game, nine tackles, two and a half tackles for a loss. He had half a sack, quarterback hit. Pretty solid game from him. They were good numbers. We don't know if he's going to be able to keep it up because keep in mind, this guy's like our sixth string middle linebacker who's barely on the roster. He was a, a practice squad guy and a guy that was on our preseason roster. But he was never supposed to start this year. This is a pretty solid game he's turned in. We still would rather have, you know, a lot of guys ahead of him. We won't get to it, but we're we're happy. If he's on the field, he's got to put a, a good game in. He's not getting exposed either. Maybe it's the competition. Maybe he's uh, figuring some stuff out. He's not the long-term answer, though, for the New York Jets. Neville Hewitt, the other linebacker, he had an interception in this game. He's actually the Jets' team leader in interceptions with two. So a good game from him. Uh, when you go to the outside linebackers, pretty quiet game from Jordan Jenkins and Terrell Basham. Um, Brandon Copeland, quiet game from him too. Frankie Louvo on the outside, he actually got half a sack, his first half sack of his season. When you go to the defensive line, Henry Anderson, he had his first whole sack of the season. Finally, Henry Anderson is getting involved with a nice big sack. And then defensive line, pretty solid game, obviously against the run. But Nathan Shepard, he's actually on a sack streak. Sack streak alert. Nathan Shepard, two weeks in a row has a sack. He got his first sack of his career against the Giants, and now he got a sack in this game. And it was more of like either a coverage sack or just a bad decision-making and reading the field by Dwayne Haskins. It was definitely a long, extended play when Nathan Shepard got there. But you know what? Two weeks in a row, two sacks. Nathan Shepard currently trending up. Let's see if that can continue. We had a timeshare between Steve McClendon, Foley Fadakasi, and Quinnen Williams, with Quinnen Williams getting 60% of the snaps, and then about 30% or so for the other two. Um... Solid game. I mean, when you stop the run like that, when you shut them down, that comes from the defensive line. You don't have a bad defensive line and hold teams to an average of 70 yards rushing per game. Even if they're not making the tackle, they're put, getting the push on the line. They're creating the holes where the linebackers are going in. They're stuffing the holes the running back is trying to get through. And so they deserve credit. Um, we've moved guys around. We've got Kyle Phillips getting in there. He had a quiet game, but uh, you know we've liked him this year. And then with the rotation at nose tackle or defensive tackle, Henry Anderson in and out with injury, Nathan Shepard coming back from suspension. It's just been a lot to try to kind of keep up with, but it feels like whoever's been in there has done a good job and they've all bought into what Greg Williams is trying to do and their assignments. So pretty happy with the defensive line. Overall, great game from the defense. Don't want to read too much into everything that happened in that fourth quarter because we were up 34-3. to The game was over. The defense shut him out. It led us there. 34-3, that was the game. Fourth quarter, garbage time. The Redskins score 17 points, or 14 additional points there. Good for them. Their fan base needed something to cheer about. It had been a disastrous day. But I'm not going to hold that against any of the players when that happened because it was in hand, 
we change our defensive style slightly and the Redskins are just, they're playing with house money. Why not just chuck the ball deep to Terry McLaurin? How did he catch that ball over Marcus May? I don't know. But good game from the New York Jets. Good play from the defense. I'm going to pick my three stars of the game. I think it's obvious in this one. Offensively, it has to be Sam Darnold. His first four-touchdown game of his career, 121 passer rating, looked really good aside from one bad interception. Looked really good. I mean, this game, you didn't see flashes of him looking good. You saw an entire game of him looking good aside from one single throw. Great game from Sam Darnold. He deserves to be star of the game in this one. Defensively, it's got to be Jamal Adams. Three sacks. Quarterback hits. Putting shoulders into running backs. Aggressive style. And then having, you know, the emotional firepower that he brings to the defense also helps. So big game from Jamal Adams. Big game from Sam Darnold. The two best players that are playing for the New York Jets right now. And it's looking pretty obvious. When you go to special teams, we haven't talked about it yet. Average game punting from Locke Edwards. He's not going to get it. Vince Smith had the fumble. No way he's getting it. Sam Ficken missed an extra point and missed a 40-plus yard field goal. He's not going to get it. Braxton Berrios. Three good returns in this game. Averaged over 14 yards per return. Very consistently catching the ball. Getting over 10 yards. I always look for 7 to 9 yards is an average return. And if a return man can average in that 7 to 9 yards per return range and they catch the ball every time, that's a good return, man. I don't need a 60-yard 60 60-yard 60 play if it's going to cost you making bad decisions, getting minus 5-yard returns, fumbling the ball. I just want you going upfield and catching the ball. And Braxton Berrios, he had one fumble a couple weeks ago where I started doubting him a little bit, but you know what? He's earning our trust right back, and he's playing well. Special teams player of the game this week, punt return man Braxton Berrios for three good punt returns, getting the Jets in better field position. All right, so now we are going to move over to Father Time, the section where my father, David Burnham, sends me something via email throughout the week after the New York Jets play on his thoughts of what he's seen, what he thinks is coming up, whether he's feeling good, bad, whatever. Free reign, talk about what you want. Dad's a great Jets fan. And this week, we got a great submission, so I'm going to read this one now. Written by David Burnham, this is Father Time. The Jets easily handled the Redskins, although they were not favored to win. There were so many good plays and good players, the list would be too long. On defense, here are my thoughts. Obviously, Jamal Adams is a beast, and I expect this to continue. Mallette and Austin are holding down the fort at corner, and I'm stunned at the success they've shown. Don't forget linebackers who? Seems only Jordan Jenkins is a true Jet starter. Give Basham, Burgess, Hewitt, and Luvu credit. Don't worry about the silent games by Quinn and Williams. He's usually playing two gaps, meaning he can't commit to one side or the other. By occupying two gaps, this helps our backups and starting linebackers run more freely and they don't have to play a single gap. And this brings me to the star of the defense, Greg Williams. It is this type of player usage that allows this defense to function with third and fourth string starters. He's put band-aids all over this defense and now has the number two defense against the run and an overall good sound defense. I love the way he competes, strategizes, and gets the most out of all of his players. Greg Williams is the star of the defense. Quick note on the Raiders. Derek Carr is playing very well, and the offensive line is massive. Does the Jets and Jamal Adams speed win? Moving to the offense, I believe the Jets need to use the pass to set up the run. Sam is clicking, and he's up to the task. Let him, Crowder, Robbie, and Griffin loosen up the Oakland defense, and then release Mr. Bell. Last week, the O-line had its best game against a decent Redskins front. This line played better than it has so far this year. I'm starting to like this Jets team. The Raiders are good. This is a great test at MetLife. Go Jets! End scene. So that was this week's Father Time submission by my dad, Dave Burnham. And this is a really good one. There's a lot to dive into on this one. I want to start from the very beginning where he mentioned the Jets weren't favored in this game. And that's very important to remember. The Jets came into this game as 2.5-point dogs to the Redskins for crying out loud. I mean, you really got to take a step back to realize that the Jets were not considered to be a better team than the Redskins going into this game. Vegas literally had the Redskins winning, so it's not like the Jets came in and beat some team that they're supposed to soundly beat. It's not like the Patriots going in to beat the Redskins. It's like, yeah, dude, you were supposed to absolutely clobber them. No, the Jets were supposed to have a tough game and, and possibly lose. I mean, on this podcast, we predicted a big win. I predicted 24-13 to because I didn't give the offense enough credit. 
But for crying out loud, this week, this team showed up. And then just talking about the defense, you know, we are playing with band-aids. We are playing with deep, deep cornerbacks, deep middle linebackers. Jamal Adams is playing out of his mind. But other than that, I mean, a lot of these guys, if you're not a Jets fan, you're thinking to yourself, who are these players? Defensive line, like what he said about Quinn and Williams, he does play two backs. The guy's big. He plays two gaps, which means that if a running back is supposed to go, you've got linebackers and you've got defensive linemen who are committed. You've got a gap assignment. You take the two gap. You take the three gap. If Quinn and Williams takes the two and the four on the same side, then it allows the linebacker to have a jammed running back coming at him. He's got to go off script, go through a hole that's not necessarily there. And then it causes us to stop the run pretty effectively, which we've seen all year long. The Jets have been dominant at it. You know, he's playing defensive tackle on 65% of snaps in this game, and we're holding them to 54 yards. Yeah, he's a big reason why. My dad gives a lot of credit in this one to Greg Williams, you know, saying Greg Williams is the star of this defense. And I'm with him completely. I started this episode talking about that. Greg Williams is... He's making it happen with this team. If you look on paper at what we have playing on defense, you'd be like, oh my gosh, they must be getting killed. Somehow, we're playing good football. We're making big plays. Jamal Adams gets a lot of that credit, but Greg Williams gets the most. Now, he mentions Derek Carr playing well. We're going to get into that real quick after this. We do have to watch out because this is going to be our best test yet, but definitely something that we should be looking forward to to really get a gauge for where we are. And then talking about the offense, I think he's got a good idea. Sam Darnold's playing hot right now. Set up the run through the pass. Let Sam Darnold do what he's doing. Let him succeed. And when they start getting worried about the way he's finding tight end, wide receiver, throwing the ball all over the place, finding a bunch of different targets, then you can bring in Le'Veon Bell, whoever's playing running back, and find more success that way. Rather than going the other way, running the ball first and second down, giving Sam a tough third down, let's start throwing the ball on first down. Let's start throwing it even on second and shorts, maybe. I mean, allow Sam Darnold to do what he's doing. He's doing it really well right now, and it all goes through him. Le'Veon Bell, if Sam Darnold's playing well, he's gonna find his he's gonna find his yardage, he's gonna find his uh his success. You know, the holes may not be there, but you'll find more if they're playing more pass coverage, pass protection on defense. So I think that's a good idea. And I love that he said he's starting to like this Jets team, because you gotta remember that a couple weeks ago, you know, we feel good in this episode. We feel good right now about the team. It's like, yeah, I know, we're playing the Raiders, we can beat them. A couple weeks ago, we felt horrible about this team. We felt like we couldn't beat anybody. Coming off of that Miami loss, it was like we gotta fire the head coach, start getting rid of all these players, we gotta look towards the draft, we gotta trade everybody away. It was an absolute dumpster fire. And then so quickly, two wins, Giants, Redskins, and we're back here. And it's true. I'm starting to like this team more, too. You know, I've always liked them. I'm a very optimistic Jets fan, more so than my father. So I always buy into most of the players because, you know, I always think it's situational and I make excuses for them and and this and that. You guys already know. But to hear him say that, you know, I think a lot of people are in agreement that it's starting to become a fun team to root for. And this past week was, was really the testament of it all. It was fun beating up on the Redskins. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to see what we're going to do next week against the Raiders. So thank you for that, Dad. Appreciate the father time as always. So now we're going to get into a quick preview of the Raiders game. The Raiders. All right, they are 6-4 and four right now, playing against a 3-7 and seven Jets team. Looking at the Raiders' schedule, they're currently on a three-game winning streak, but in reality, they've really beaten all of the non-playoff teams they've played, and they've lost to all of the playoff teams they've played. The Colts are one team that they beat that potentially could be going for the playoffs. But other than that, their only wins have been against the Denver Broncos, Chicago Bears, Detroit Lions, Los Angeles Chargers, and Cincinnati Bengals. The Colts, they won 31-24. to That was a big win for them. But other than that, Broncos, Bears, Lions, Chargers, and Bengals, there's no standout win in there. Their losses, Kansas City Chiefs, playoff team. Minnesota Vikings, playoff team. Green Bay Packers, playoff team. Houston Texans, probably a playoff team. They haven't beaten good teams. They've beaten up on bad teams. The Colts were the one team in the middle, and they won. The Jets will figure out where we are. We're a 3-7 team right now. I'm sure the Raiders and their Raiders fans are looking at us right now saying, wow, this is the game that we're going to win. It's an easy game. Get the Raiders team to a 7-4. But if you're part of Jet Nation, part of this gangrene, I feel like a lot of us think that we can beat this Raiders team. When we look, we're kind of we're kind of set up to match up pretty well against them. What I mean by that is, 
when you look at their team, Derek Carr is having a good season, but their best player offensively really has been Josh Jacobs, their running back. He's got over 900 yards, big time year. He's got 4.8 yards per carry, seven touchdowns. He's only fumbled once. I mean, Josh Jacobs is going for rookie of the year right now. He's having a heck of a season. But the Jets match up well against the run. If we can take away Josh Jacobs, I mean, we are the second-ranked rush defense in the NFL. If that rings true this week at MetLife and we can stop Josh Jacobs, it's all going to fall on Derek Carr's hands. And what can he do? We have some poor cornerbacks, potentially, young, unproven cornerbacks, and they have got a good offensive line. They've been protecting pretty well, and they've been run blocking really well. Now, run game, we already talked about that. Pass game, how's that going to look? A couple different things. Their number one receiver has been a tight end, Darren Waller. He leads the team in targets with 72 and receptions with 56. He leads the team in yards with 666. He's got three touchdowns on the year, and the guy has been Derek Carr's biggest weapon offensively when throwing the ball. So really, it comes down to who's going to guard him. Our inside linebackers can't cover. Right, Neville Hewitt has proven that he can't really cover. James Burgess, way too unknown and unproven to be covering their number one target. Our outside linebackers won't be covering, so who's going to be on him? You can put in a guy like Brian Poole to potentially play in the slot against him, or you can bring in another safety or use a safety that we already have on the field. In my opinion, it, it honestly could come down to Jamal Adams covering Darren Waller. It's not going to be every play. The Jets aren't that one-dimensional. They aren't going to be Jamal Adams, you guard Darren Waller. But I honestly think that that's a good matchup for Jamal Adams. He's pretty good in coverage. He's touted it himself before, you know, saying he's great. He could play cornerback if he had to. But he, as the strong safety, typically could line up against a tight end. And when you've got a great tight end, you kind of rely, like, if your safety can take out a guy like Rob Gronkowski, that's why we drafted Jamal Adams back in the day in the first place, in my opinion. Not only that he was one of the higher guys on the board, but that you need to have a safety like that to cover a tight end. Now we're playing a guy, Darren Waller. I know Jamal Adams wants to get after the passer. I know he wants to rush and blitz. There will be time for that. Some well-timed blitzes when they're least expecting it with Jamal Adams. He can get his sacks. He can get his pressures. But to get him on Darren Waller in coverage, if he can play well, you know, 50% plus on Darren Waller and keep him as a minimal impact in the game, then Derek Carr's going to have to look elsewhere. That's going to be a huge key for us. Derek Carr's next looks... His next biggest weapon, number two, is their current top wide receiver, Tyrell Williams, who came from the Chargers. Now, this guy's got a lot of touchdowns. He's got five touchdowns, which is more than any player on our team. Doesn't sound like a ton, but five at this point in the season, it's solid. It's better than anything we can show. He's got 30 receptions, so he's got, you know, 26 less than Darren Waller. He's got 462 yards, so still pretty good impact. He's going to finish this year below 1,000 yards. But he's going to have, you know, a solid seven, 800-yard season, which is pretty good for a wide receiver. He's their number one guy, though. So you put, you know, well, it's it's weird to say. You put Arthur Mollette on Tyrell Williams, maybe he plays pretty well. You obviously have to use your your safety in Marcus May. You got to help him out a little bit because you can't go one-on-one island with Arthur Mollette and LaShawn Austin. But it's not like Tyrell Williams is a guy who's absolutely tearing teams apart. So potentially not a super difficult matchup for either one of our unproven cornerbacks. Then the number three guy is their number two wide receiver, Hunter Renfro. He's got 365 yards on 33 catches. So he's another guy who's used in the offense. He's probably going to be covered in the slot by Brian Poole. But other than that, they don't really have much output from anybody. Their next leading receivers, running back Rashard, running back Josh Jacobs, another tight end, Moreau. I mean, nobody else has more than 200 yards on offense. It's three guys. They're running a three-man show here. Tight end Darren Waller being number one. Jamal Adams, linebackers, what can we do there? Chipping him at the line, whatever we can do to slow Darren Waller down. Tyrell Williams, Marcus May, making sure he doesn't get burned beat, burned deep. And then <laughs> trying your best, hoping that Arthur Mollett and Blashawn Austin can keep it up and have a good week. Hunter Renfro, hopefully our best cornerback, most proven this year, Brian Poole have a good game against him and then it comes down to stopping the run defensive line do what you've been doing inside linebackers keep filling those holes that are made by the defensive linemen shut down josh jacobs put it on Derek carr hopefully we can get some pressure after him i mean if he's got time in the pocket if he's got consistently five six seconds to hold on to the football it's going to be easy for him to find wide receivers you know it doesn't you don't have to be a good wide receiver to be open 
after five, six seconds. Eventually, playing man or wherever the zone is, you're going to find the spot to be, or you're going to burn your guy. If you're a wide receiver in the NFL, you should be able to do that. So we got to get after Derek Carr quick enough. Another thing the Jets have to do, we can't kill ourselves. We can't shoot ourselves in the foot, can't have bad penalties, you know, can't get burned in big plays. We've got to play within ourselves. We've got to be disciplined. We've got to stick to the game plan. We've got to capitalize on opportunities. So that's what we do defensively. When it comes to offense against the Raiders, they have a solid defense. They've got some players that we've heard of before. To hear Whitehead, Carl Joseph, two of the leading tacklers for the team. Uh, they, they play a lot of safeties over there. they got Harris, Joyner. they got some other guys that, that fill in. Um, but really what the big, big point of their defense is right now is their pass rush. And they've got really young guys, rookies, making a big impact. Max Crosby, 6.5 sacks this year. Cullen Farrell, first-round pick, he's got 3.5 sacks. Benson Maioa, he's got seven sacks. I mean, they've got 25 sacks as a team, and it comes from a bunch of different guys, and they've got some really powerful pass rushers. You're going to put Max Crosby on Chuma Adoga in this game, he's going to have a really tough time. I'm telling you right now, Max Crosby is going to be getting after Sam Darnold. We have to find a way to keep a running back in, to keep a tight end in, to chip. He's the guy we got to watch out for. Benson Maioya, he's also having a good season. Seven sacks, he's actually leading their team. Got to watch out for him. Cleveland Farrell, he's come on a little bit in recent weeks. Can't forget about him. Can't be focused too much on Maioa and Crosby. And then, you know, they got some other guys too. They have some established veterans in, in Carl Joseph, Tahir Whitehead. They have some young cornerbacks that potentially we can go after. But Sam Darnold's going to have to find time in the pocket. We got to slow down their pass rush. We got to run the ball. We got to run play action. We got to get Le'Veon Bell involved. But we really have to get protection for Sam Darnold and let him do what he's been doing. Because when he moves in the pocket, it's really hard to defend. You don't know where he's going to be throwing from when that ball is snapped. And he can make a throw to anybody all over the field, and he sees them very well. So I'm hoping to see Sam Darnold continue on what he's been doing. He's got, I think, in the last three weeks, six touchdowns, two interceptions. So he's definitely trending up right now after starting you know, pretty slow. Definitely had a really bad game against the Patriots. We know all about that. But it's it's been a while since that. And he's had a four-touchdown game with 121 quarterback rating. He's definitely trending up, and he's got to keep it going. Luckily, this is a home game. You don't ever want to play against the Raiders. One, because they play on a baseball field, which absolutely sucks. Um, two, because they got, like, really weird fans that are all dressed up in, like, crazy clothes, and they paint their faces more than any other fan I've ever seen. And they got the black hole and all that stuff. It's just not a great environment to play a football game. Um, this is a, a pretty good rivalry between the two teams. The fan bases, the teams generally don't like each other. We're two really old AFL teams that uh, you know have a long history of playing against each other, and we've played a lot of times. And you know, in my in my mind, the Jets don't play the Raiders well. I don't have have the actual numbers in front of me right now, but like in my lifetime, we play them a lot, and it just feels like we typically don't play the Raiders well. But this is a different team now. You know, they got Derek Carr back there, John Gruden, and uh, yeah, John Gruden's a funny one. I. I'm not like a huge John Gruden fan. Like I wouldn't want him to be the Jets coach right now. I think he's kind of crazy. I they signed him for like 10 years, so I don't know exactly how that's going to work out. But I kind of like John Gruden because he was like a staple of the coaching the coaching circle back when I was a kid. So it's like this nostalgic rooting for him just to be out there. It just feels good seeing John Gruden on a sideline. That being said, when we play against him, I can't wait to see him smashing his headset yelling at everybody losing his mind. Bright red face, Chucky gone mad. Looking forward to it. It's just kind of fun nostalgia to see John Gruden out there, one of the staples of the game, the guy that I grew up watching on the sideline thinking, Dad, who's that crazy person and why does he look like that? And here he is, you know, 15 years later, whatever it is, coaching for, who knows, maybe another eight years after this. And he's doing pretty well with the team he's got. They're running the ball really well. Their offense is playing smart, consistent, conservative football. In my mind, the Raiders are an incredibly average team. And right now, incredibly average teams end up being about 6-4, and four, looking at the shot of the playoffs for the AFC. The AFC is not as strong as the NFC, so the Raiders are right in the mix. But they are, NFL standards, incredibly average. So in my mind, playing a home game, coming off of some consistent performances where the Jets are trending up, Sam Darnold's trending up, we've worked with Adam Gase to try to get a better offense flowing, the team seems to be communicating, players are playing well, Jamal Adams is as hot as he's ever been. I think it kind of syncs up nicely. I'm going to predict the Jets win this game. I'm going to say Jets win 19-16. to 16. Kind of a crazy score, but 19-16, I think the Jets win by a field goal in this one. 
take down the Raiders, extend the winning streak to three games, get to four and seven, and have everybody wondering, are the playoffs a possibility? Can the Jets actually make the playoffs in the AFC? Now, I've basically said for the past few weeks that the Jets' playoff hopes are dead. Sam Darnold said that he still believes in it, and we all rally behind that because, yeah, he's got to say that, he's got to believe in that, and it's good to hear. He's still positive. The team is still positive. But we've thought to ourselves, you know, we were 1-7. and seven. All right, this season is clearly over. Playoffs are done. Let's think about evaluating. It's become an evaluation year. At this point now, if the Jets win against the Raiders and go to 4-7, and seven, and you're looking at a Miami Dolphins and Cincinnati Bengals team as your next two games, and you could potentially see, okay, well, if we're four and seven, then we go to five and seven. Could we potentially be six and seven going into the Ravens? Then the Steelers with the backup quarterback and Mason Rudolph? And then the division rival Bills, who we almost beat week one? The Jets have seven losses right now. Best they could finish at is nine and seven. But if they beat the Raiders and they beat, you know, the Steelers, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Bengals, they could even lose to the Ravens and be eight and eight. And you never know. In the AFC right now, 8-8 eight and eight could potentially make the playoffs. Never say never. You have to give it a chance. We're not going to go too crazy because it start with, starts with the Raiders. One game at a time, one snap, one series, one game, and then we'll go from there. We'll be back here next week. If you want to see anything else from me throughout the week, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. I am hoping three weeks in a row to be recording a New York Jets win. It's a lot more fun. We are having fun right now, are we not, New York Jets fans? Is this not what we were hoping for, to see Sam Darnold play like this? See the New York Jets come out, score 34 points? Hell yeah, it is. Let's do it again. Let's beat up the Raiders. And let's start talking about possible playoff scenarios. I know it's crazy, but let's have a little bit of fun with it. As always, thank you for joining me for this episode. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 